he, he did a first assist. He was very close to score the second goal, but for them, not for us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wondered crazy. what you thought about that. It was crazy. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Max Stokes, as ever, joined by Simon Lyons. Simon, how are you, mate? You all good? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Not too bad at all. An absolutely manic last four or five days, hasn't it? I wouldn't change it for the world. Following the Villa over land and sea, it's been amazing, hasn't it? It has been some week, yeah. Obviously, jetting off to Bosnia last week, uh, spending spending time in Mostar, Sarajevo, uh, travelling back up, then flying back via Belgrade, back to London. Yeah, it's been a hectic sort of, what, five days, five, six days or so, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't change for the world. No, it's been absolutely fantastic. Of course, in this podcast, we'll talk about our trip to Bosnia and Herzegovina, as well as the Villa game uh, yesterday against Brentford. Thank you for all the kind words about the podcast over the last few weeks or so. It's obviously very much appreciated by both of us. It's really, really nice people in real life coming up to us um, saying how much they love the podcast. It is really, really good. So yeah, we really do appreciate that. Please do subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review if you do fancy that, whatever you're listening on whether that's Spotify, Apple, whatever it is, leave a review, leave five stars, whatever it is, that'll be very much appreciated. Thank you very much. Right, should we talk about our trip to Bosnia then? Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, if you haven't already, go and watch the Villa on Tour video because I think it's it's one of the best. It's I know when you do Villa on Tour videos in this country, there's only so much you can do on the coach, going to a Premier League game, whatever. But I really like making videos, going abroad and exploring the culture, doing my research on the place, like especially Mostar because of all the history around it. I encourage you to go and have a look at it because it is really really interesting what happened in in Mostar and Bosnia overall in the 90s with the wars over there it's really really interesting but in terms of our itinerary we got a flight over to Sarajevo on Thursday morning didn't we how much was the hire car from Sarajevo to Mostar was it about 35 quid yeah we yeah we paid 35 quid which was actually one of the more expensive ones because I wanted a automatic uh just to just to <laughs> take the worry about having a manual car out of the equation um <laughs> and then what we paid an extra was it 60 euros for like the added insurance on the mm. day which just meant that we didn't have to pay such a massive um, deposit and then sort of worry we weren't going to get it back. So, yeah, in total, it was under under 100 euros, which which was, yeah, really, really good value. Yeah, absolute bargain. We didn't fancy paying the uh, £1,400 deposit on one of the other plans, so we went with that uh, cheaper insurance. How did you find driving in Bosnia? Because I know it was something that you were a little bit worried about, obviously. If, if people have seen the video, there's lorry drivers overtaking each other on the windy Bosnian roads. It's absolute chaos, so we kept it nice and slow how did you find it um i think there was a few things with it really i think the motorways the motorways was really really quiet so that was really easy but the majority of the drive down to Mostar obviously wasn't motorways it was sort of uh single single track roads running through mountains and and and, and the road surfaces were absolutely fine it wasn't that wasn't the problem but it's always that issue that i always find like when you go to europe or well when you go anywhere abroad mainly that don't drive on the same side of the road as the uk it's just you lose all sort of perspective about how much like room you've got on the left hand side and the right hand side. Like you feel like you're you feel like you're veering off the road on the right hand side. But it also feels <laughs> like cars or vans or whatever vehicle it is gonna like hit you on the other side of things. So yeah, it was just that. And I think some of the windy roads, it was I mean, some of them were absolutely mad, weren't they, through the mountains? Mm. And um yeah, it, it, look, it was okay. It was it was it was okay. It's a, it's, I suppose it's a little bit stressful, I suppose. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the roads are fairly fairly quietish, weren't they? And kept to a sort of sensible speed. And yeah, we had some really really good views along the way with the river and the lake and stuff. And uh, yeah, it was overall it wasn't too bad, and it it gave us that level of flexibility, I suppose. So yeah, it was it was pretty good. Yeah, you did a cracking job, mate. Fair play. Some of those lorry drivers were absolutely not cases. You touched on it there. The scenery, especially as you sort of got closer to Mustar, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, videos and photos really, really don't do it justice. But the mountains, how blue the lake and the rivers are, it's it's absolutely stunning, isn't it? And again, that's just something that you wouldn't normally get. It was it was absolutely beautiful that drive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was absolutely lovely, and um, yeah, it's very different to to some of the drives here. But yeah, you're right. I think as you went through the halfway point, which was like uh, Kunjic, wasn't it? And then mm. you got towards Mostar. That's when it started to become really sort of um, scenic, you know, with the mountains and the and the lake and the river, and you know, the the, the water was a really like clear sort of a blue, like a turquoise blue color. And so yeah, that was mm. that was really 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 nice. And uh, yeah, I you know I actually. 
actually, I, I actually fairly enjoyed it. I think the, I think I enjoyed the drive back more more than the drive there. I think I'd found my sort of uh, level of confidence. I was confident in overtaking people on the way back, and so um, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I think the the majority of people who went over to to Mustar probably went on the Wednesday. Would you say so? We got to Mustar on about three o'clock, wasn't it? On match day, kickoff was six forty five. So we probably didn't have as much time as maybe a few other people. Obviously, we'll come on to it. We had more time on Friday to explore the city, but we basically got to the hotel, which was very decent, um, and basically went to to pick up our tickets straight away. And there was a couple of decent fan zone areas wasn't there um where we went there was a couple of food stores there was uh Zwinski Mustar fans actually serving pints and random shots that I definitely didn't touch I know a few people did and they you know when you do like a shot and you can feel it in like your your insides it's like really hot mm-hmm. so yeah we didn't touch those shots but the Zwinski Mustar fans there were absolutely lovely I'm not sure what the building was but that was really nice we were all sort of congregated in some sort of square that wasn't a million miles away from the stadium weren't we yeah it, it was it was fairly nice I mean you know there wasn't there wasn't loads around the fan zone, but I suppose there didn't have to be because there was only what f- mm. four or five hundred of, of, of Villa fans there. But yeah, pretty seamless, really, wasn't it? It was about a, a 15, 20 minute walk from our hotel to to the ticket collection point, and yeah, there you had uh, a marquee there. You had a few, you had a few uh, outside bars. You had places serving food, and there was obviously a DJ playing. Um, all Villa-related songs over and over again on a constant loop. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was nice. It was nice. It felt quite festive, didn't it? The Christmas tree up and the mm. Christmas lights. Um, and then obviously there was the they provided buses for people to be transported to to the stadium because it was obviously up a little bit of a hill, even though it was only what a so it was only actually a ten minute walk to the stadium. We were going to walk mm. it, weren't we? But the heavens kind of opened, and we decided, oh, let's just jump on a bus just to save, just just to save, just to save our jumpers and stuff, getting absolutely soaked. So, and also to save walking up a hill. So, yeah, it was all arranged sort of very, very well. To be fair, apparently that um, DJ that was playing the Villa songs over and over again, apparently he was playing the audio from one of my videos. I think it was before we got there, but someone messaged me and was like, mm. "The DJ at the fan zone is playing audio from one of your videos." So I'm glad you didn't come across that. Can you, can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been? Just our voices like booming across the fan zone. That would have been really weird. Yeah, just to hear like my like really brummy dulcet tones coming over, coming over like a two tano- one today, a tano- two one today, <laughs> coming over a tannoy in the middle of in the middle of Mustard and Buzzley and Herzegovina. No, no, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I didn't hear that. I, I just worry for the poor. Bosnian people's eardrums ear listening to that. So I'm glad we didn't hear that. <laughs> Just going about their days listening to us. Unbelievable. Um, we didn't really see any trouble, did we? I think when we got to the hotel and we were just about to go into the centre, we saw, I think it was uh, Villa Police tweeted a couple of things, but it wasn't Zwinski Mustar fans who were the issue. Apparently it was the other team in Mustar, Velez Mustar, who were stealing a couple of flags. I think people were having photos with flags by the, the old bridge, obviously in the old town, um, and they got stolen. A couple of people we were speaking to on the bus to the ground had... Um, a couple of injuries they had to go to hospital things like that but on the whole we personally didn't see any issues did we I think especially after the game we'll talk about a little bit later it was nothing but respect with the Zwinski Mustar fans I think it was just the other team in Mustar who didn't take too kindly to it stealing Villa flags and there was obviously pictures that came out over the weekend of them taking uh, Villa flags to their domestic game in Bosnia so that was a, an interesting one but us personally we didn't have any issues did we? No not really I mean I think when we were walking to the ticket collection point we saw like a couple of groups of like hooded lads didn't we who looked like they were kind of, you know, brewing for a bit of trouble kind of thing. But they didn't mm. bother us, to be fair. But, yeah, and, and like, I'm all, all of the Zwingsky Mustard fans that we spoke to and we, you know, we had dealings with were all really, really nice, really welcoming, really, really friendly. Mm. And they were after the game. I spoke to a few of them after the game in, in that in, in that one pub that I went to. And, and they were really nice. And But to be fair, even that after the game, we were walking back by the bridge and, uh, we got talking to that Velez fan, didn't we? And even mm. you know, and he and, and he was he was nice and pleasant as well. So yeah, it was just a very small small minority, but on the whole, it was. Um, I think Villa fans were really well behaved as as kind of always, and uh, and we were welcomed really well by the by the Zrinski fans or all the people of Mustar mm. in general, really. So no, it was it, it was fine. Yeah, we got the coach to the away end, didn't we? And we got out. It was dark, so we couldn't see too much. I've never seen so many army people in my life. Honestly, the street leading up to the sort of turnstiles a strong word but where we went into the away end there was just army guys there with riot shields there was dogs with like muzzles on it was 
it was interesting. Like you said, Villa fans were never going to cause any issues. And we haven't in, in all of the group stage games, which is which is really good to see. But it was it was a different kind of experience getting to that away end, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think in the planning for the game, they probably looked at previous European ties with other teams mm. and probably saw what happened at Villa Park with Legia Warsaw and some of the problems that Legia Warsaw have had with other clubs before. And they probably expected something to happen. And I think we said on the way out, didn't we, that these, these police officers would, would have had the easiest night of their lives. <laughs> the the, the yeah. easy shift of their lives because you're right. There was it was how many would you say there was? I don't know. There was well over a hundred, if not over, mm. if not more, if not nearly two hundred. There was absolutely loads. Literally, um, they they were shoulder to shoulder lining the streets, weren't they? It was constant. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think they would have uh, been pleasantly surprised by by the fact that no Villa fans made any sort of trouble whatsoever. Which we we always knew that there wouldn't be knowing Villa fans how they how they travel. Mm. You know, everyone's just there for the football and to, have, and to have a good time. No one's there to cause trouble. Exactly. Unlike some clubs, we only go for the football because that's all we care about. Got into that away end then and no toilets to be seen. Immediately you're greeted by lines of portaloos, which I had to go in, which they weren't too bad actually. But again, a football stadium with no actual toilets was pretty weird. And then you walk down this walkway and you get to where the Villa fans were sort of situated for the game. And the only way to sort of describe it would be a cage. It was It was really, really weird. There was massive, massive steps uh, leading down however far forward in the away end you wanted to go I've never experienced anything like it but we all knew going into the game that we've all seen pictures of that away end and things like that I was just loving it I had a smile on my face the whole time going into that away end it was just so different the character was amazing the stadium the views were really really good never experienced anything like it I loved it yeah it was certainly uh certainly a very different experience than being in a like a normal sort of English or European stadium. Um, it was just one stand, wasn't it? There was no other stands in mm. the ground. It was the two ends were just trees, basically. The other end was some <laughs> kind of I don't know, Zrinsky House or something, wasn't it? Where all the players yeah, ended up going. It was like a big. It was like it looked like a big old like Victorian house. It was really weird. Uh, we, it was all we, decorated in like Zrinsky colours, wasn't it? I, lo- I like to imagine that's where all the players live. Yeah, yeah. There was just like a tunnel just whacked in the middle of that, wasn't there? Where the players <laughs> walked out. I mean, you could see on the other side of the tunnel. It was all a bit weird. But no, like that that away end. Yeah, I mean, you were miles away from any other supporters, um, just caged <laughs> in, and then. Well, you couldn't even sit down because the seats were that filthy and wet from the rain. Obviously, you were open to the elements. Unfortunately, while we were actually in the stadium, it didn't rain. Uh, it did on the way, but not while we were in there. Mm. Um, and then it depends on where you sat. So I think I read a couple of people who were sitting on like the far right-hand side of that uh, pen. And they couldn't see anything because there was a tree overgrowing <laughs> into the away end. So that just tells you all you need to know. And then, I mean, I'll be honest, I couldn't really see anything, to be honest with you. I mean, when, when, when Zaniolo scored, I, I didn't even realise he'd scored for, for, for like, a, for like mm. a few seconds. So I just couldn't see what was going on. But so, yeah, very, very different. But I was reading, I was reading about it. Um, and they were saying that the reason is, is because they do tend to have trouble when, 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 when they play in the league with away supporters and they did in the past and that's why the away supporters are housed in a place far away from anybody else for their own for their own protection as well as everyone else's. So so yeah, it was um, it was definitely a, a very, very different experience. No, I loved it. And I encourage anyone to go and watch the Villa on Tour video to see it for yourselves. It was so, so good. And you're right though, that it was a shame really, because we didn't really the Zwinski Ultras were right down the bottom, the other side of the one main stand, weren't they? So we couldn't yeah. really see them. I think we could see um, in the first half, I think some flares went off and you could see a bit of that. Well, the only time we sort of caught a glimpse of them was when we were leaving mm. the stadium and we got to sort of the exit, which was a shame really, because you could hear them, they were making a bit of noise. Would have been great to see them, especially when they scored. Yeah, and and, and from the pictures and the videos we saw, obviously there was a fair few Villa fans who managed to uh, get tickets in the home end. I think Zunsky were just really happy just to sell the tickets, to be honest, which they would yeah, do. Yeah. Um, and obviously, again, Villa fans credit credit to themselves really again credit to the club because you know we talk about away fans in home areas you know we talked about that when Legia Warsaw came to Villa Park mm. how we didn't like that and yet it was very different it had a different feel to it didn't it they were they were welcome into the home end if anything yeah and, and yet and the Villa fans respected that and just enjoyed enjoyed it you know and, and there was no trouble everyone got on really well together and uh, I suppose it's what football should be you know football should mm. be welcome it should be for all there should be none of this 
you know, targeting each other or anything like that. You know, we're just normal people. We shouldn't just because you're of your nationality or your allegiance to a club. You know, well, how, how, why are we any different? You know, so no, that that was really really nice to see. And so some of the videos and pictures that I saw of the of the home end, absolutely absolutely amazing. And you're right, it was a little bit of a shame that we couldn't experience like seeing that actually during the game, really, because we were just planted so far away from everybody else. Yeah, from sort of videos and photos I saw from the home end from Villa fans, it looked decent, sort of Villa fans having photos with Zinski fans and just getting on, it was really, really nice. There was a bit of chanting as well between the sort of two groups of Villa fans. It felt weird a little bit because there was that many Villa fans in the home end. It felt like we sort of had two away ends. There was chanting back and forth saying, we love Villa more than you and things like that. So again, can't really see much of the game. So there's, And then obviously we'll come on to it, but the game was really boring anyway. So that was the only bit of entertainment we had, especially in that first half. Pretty dull, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it was dull. Um, I kind of expected it just because of the because of the game that played out at Villa Park. They, they made themselves very sort of difficult to beat, didn't they, Zrinski? And, um, and yeah, we obviously only won that game due to a very last gasp goal from John McGinn. And so I kind of expected similar, expected a lot of changes, which was made. We you know, Villa made eight changes again as we'd been tending mm. to do in the in the Conference League. And yeah, and I, I probably expected it, to be fair. You know, I expected the pitch to be a little bit heavy, which it probably was a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, the game played out how I, how I thought it would. It was a little bit of a dead rubber. It was going to take a minor miracle for Villa not to finish top of the group. Um, and mm. for Zrinski, they were just trying to, to trying to etch themselves into the history books a little bit, weren't they, essentially, I think. And they just were desperate just to get anything out of the game, desperate to score a goal, desperate to get a point. And, um, mm. and so, in the end, I think the result made both sets of supporters happy, didn't it? You know, and so... It, it was it was nice in a way, and like I came away and actually, even though I think at the time I was I was annoyed that Villa conceded a goal, as I would always be when Villa conceded a goal. I think I came away and I look back here and I think I'm kind of glad the score was one one. I'm kind of glad that yeah. that was the result in the end because it gave those Zrinski fans something to smile about, and uh, you know what that is what football is all about. And also, I will add that is what the Europa Conference League is all about. And you know what the Conference League has had a bad rap from from people, people especially in this country in the media calling it a Mickey Mouse tournament or whatever, a third-rate European competition. And the, and, and the game the other night showed exactly what the Conference League is all about. You know, Zrinski, yeah. a team who never been in Europe, never get to sample the opportunity to play such, you know, a, a sort of historical sort of big club with a lot of money behind mm. it. And and that's what it provides them with. And so, you know, I, 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 I say big up to you, Wave, for creating the Conference League because... Like I say, it provides people with massive opportunities. So I was quite pleased with Zrinski, to be honest with you. So even though the game was boring, um, I, I was I was fairly pleased with, with the end result. Yeah, absolutely. And when they scored, they went absolutely mental. Honestly, when they popped one in, uh, sort of element of a, like being annoyed, of course, but just seeing the guy who scored whip his top off, all the guys from the, the dugout run onto the pitch, their fans went absolutely ballistic. Sort of the social media from Zunski after the game, sort of saying, what a night, and posting loads of pictures of the fans absolutely loving life. So, yeah, it meant absolutely nothing to us, but fair play to them. It was it's an absolute just like you said that's that's what the conference league is all about giving these clubs who've never played in europe who are never going to play a premier league giants like aston villa like fair play to them it, it was great to see just a couple of talking points then from the villa side of things it was nice to see zaniolo get his first goal um other talking points uh, philip marshall getting his first start he looked pretty decent and he? he looked pretty confident wanting the ball i think we said that towards the end of the game to each other he looked good and then he uh, made a couple of mistakes where he sort of kicked it against the Mustard player. We had a couple of nervy moments. But on the whole, he looked all right, didn't he, Philip Marshall? He did. Yeah, he did. He showed himself to be an able sort of deputy, really. I mean, he didn't have many saves to make. No, he didn't. He had probably mm. he had a couple, didn't he? He didn't, he didn't have loads. He had sort of a couple of regulation saves, which he made. But yeah, he, um, he showed himself to be a sort of an able deputy. And I think the game was important. Uh, for us on the point of view that we managed to get minutes into some of the players' legs like yeah. Zaniolo, like Ramsey, Moreno. Alex, Mare- Alex Moreno, even Tommy O'Reilly coming on for his debut off the bench as well as mm. a young lad, uh, John Duran playing um, nearly a full game. And so it was. It, I think it was important from that avenue really because I've said for a while that obviously we've known how Villa's in the, first, in the first half of December how hectic Villa's run has been and it continues to be up mm. until probably the first, second week of January. And so I think um, I think Unai Emery's been really keen to get every player, you know, up to up to the mark in terms of fitness, just so we can 
you know, call on them because he's going to have to call on the vast majority yeah. of the players. Um, and we've already seen that. We've already seen that in some of the league games recently where we've had to use some of the players who haven't been playing uh, many minutes previously in the season. So, yeah, I think it was important from the point of view that that, that we that we used um, our, our rotation options and we gave people a go, yeah. There was a bit of a weird stage towards the end of the game where Zwinski obviously were buzzing with the points. Obviously, they were going out anyway and Villa needed a point anyway. So, Philip Marshall had the ball at his feet, but Zwinski really didn't want to press. So, there was <laughs> happened a couple of times, didn't it, where it must have gone on for a couple of minutes, but... Marshall was just stood on the ball. Zwinski was just stood there. So the game was just still. And obviously the ball's in play, so the referee can't do anything. Both teams are content with the point. It's just weird. Never seen anything like that. Yeah, I've never seen it either. Never ever seen that either. Yeah, both teams just 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 must our players not go not trying to press and and get the ball off the keeper and the Villa keeper very happy just to stand there with it and not pass it out either. So I think in the, in the end the ref just got irritated and just blew his final whistle <laughs> in the end. So be like, oh, he's going just end it. What's the point? Just end it. Yeah. The both both teams are happy with the point. Just end it. And then obviously the end of the game it was nice scenes really, wasn't it? it was all the mm. all the Zrinski players swap shirts with the Villa players and. They all had Villa shirts on, coming around, clapping, yeah. and they're all they were all really sort of jubilant, weren't they? And um, yeah, I even spotted like the manager, like the the, the manager. He walked off with Emery, and he was absolutely beaming like that. He was probably pitting, you know he managed to get a draw and pitting his wits against like a this super sort of elite coach. He must have been absolutely in his element. I can't I can't imagine you know what what. What, what what those feelings are sort of like. So mm. no, do you know what it was nice? I think looking back on it, it was actually quite nice and um I, I enjoyed it. Despite the game being poor, I enjoyed it and uh yeah, and I and yeah, and despite the stadium being being what it was, there wasn't much hospitality in terms of how the stadium <laughs> looked or felt to us, but I do think the hospitality in general from from the people of Mostar was absolutely brilliant. Did you see the picture of John McGinn in a Zwinski Mostar shirt? That blew my mind. It's like a parallel of the universe. It was really weird. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did look really <laughs> weird, and that's what I mean. I, I felt weird. All the Zwinski players were wearing Villa shirts because they were yeah. they were clapping. It looked like they were clapping us. I don't know if they were, but they looked like they were clapping Villa fans. And I was thinking, well, who's that there? I, I, I can't work out which player that is. <laughs> I realised it was all Zwinski players who'd swapped the shirt. So yeah, that was a funny moment. We got the bus back to the sort of centre, weren't we? And I think the atmosphere on the bus was probably a little bit better than in the ground. Obviously, people were just sort of waiting for the final whistle in the ground. But getting the bus back to the centre of Mostar, um, obviously absolutely packed full of Villa fans taking us back to the centre. It was it was absolutely brilliant, that was, because we were going through sort of the town and all the Zwinski fans were sort of walking back to wherever they were going, sort of lining the streets. And they were just applauding the Villa fans, weren't they? And waving and taking photos. We were waving back, singing really nice songs. It was just really, really nice because that was... Obviously, there was no animosity. The game meant nothing, really. It was just nothing but respect. That coach journey back, it was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, all Villa fans are singing, we'll, uh, we'll meet again to all the Zwinski fans uh, <laughs> swaying on the bus. It was quite uh, it was quite funny. All the Villa fans clapping and waving and all the Zwinski fans waving back and clapping and videoing the buses as they mm. as they, as they they came past. And I, I, I think it was a genuine sort of, um, sort, sort of, pleasure for them to host Villa fans for for the amount of days they did and I, you know even even in terms of tourism you know they'd taken a lot of money in from Villa fans over those period of days you know all in the pubs and the restaurants lo- locally and you know cause it's a fairly quiet time of year really there isn't it I think we've mm-hmm. heard stories about in Mostar about I mean I've got I've got a friend who went last set uh was it yeah yeah it was, it was September just gone um, and it was absolutely like manic there in terms of um, yeah because 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 it's warm because it's the summer um, it was absolutely manic there but obviously it was quiet when we were there and so it's it's obviously the sort of down sort of time of the year and so it would have been it would have been lovely for for all the local businesses you know that they, they would have made probably the most money in, in a few days than than they ever would sort of thing so yeah it was it was just nice it was really really good and uh, yeah like we say the the city of Mostar was just absolutely stunning yeah you can see why it gets busy over the summer it's such a beautiful place and we sort of spent um Friday morning exploring because we had that whole Friday free we were flying back from Sarajevo on Saturday we had to take the hire car back to Sarajevo on the Friday but we had the morning didn't we to sort of explore Mostar because like I said earlier we didn't have too much time on the Thursday so to go and take photos with our flags by the bridge and just explore the city go to the old markets get ourselves some fridge magnets and little models and things like that like you said it was really quiet so everyone was so lovely went to the restaurants it was just so so nice exploring it and you can see like I said why it gets so busy it's one of the nicest places I've ever been yeah and we were so lucky with the weather then on Friday obviously the rain had stopped in Mustar and we woke up and it was um it was a little bit windy but it was sunny wasn't it, it was a wall-to-wall sunshine on yeah. Friday morning and uh yeah, we were able to just really have a sort of chilled out morning. Really, we're you know walking around the, the cobbled streets, looking at the little shops and buying a few little 
things here and there. And then we managed to, you know, get some photos by the bridge. Um, and then we ended up having a really nice lunch before we left Mustar. So, yeah, it was a perfect end to it, wasn't it? Well, nearly, because your coat went into the river, didn't uh, it? We were having yeah. these um, lovely photos by the river and with the bridge in the background. And it was so, so windy. So I even put my bag on your coat, whatever, and it still went into the river. We only realised afterwards that it had the bloody higher car keys in there. Imagine if we lost them. Yeah. Absolute disaster. You went you went into the river, didn't you, trying to fetch it? I think the water went up to your ankles. Absolute shambles. Yeah, well, it was it was a good job I, I had that quick thinking I, inst- I just ran into the river just and it was I, i've kind of said it was icy cold as well that water was um and i di- sort of just got the coat because i think another split second and the coat would have blew all the way down the river and that would have been it Yeah, because it was so windy that water was moving yeah it was really moving yeah and so the higher car would have been gone basically i don't know what we would have done and yeah but then in the meantime doing that has properly nailed my trainers though like i've got to oh, I've, really? I've put my trainers in the washing machine since i got back last night i'm hoping that it will restore it but my trainers look absolutely nailed from 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 being in that river a split second so so yeah so yeah it was it was almost perfect but then obviously i'd i had wet feet for the rest of the day which uh, which wasn't and, and a really really wet coat for the rest of the day which wasn't pleasant but you know it's 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 what we do on these european trips little things happen to us so exactly yeah, we, we move on um we had a nice little tourist day didn't we on the saturday just before we flew home did a couple of the sites in sarajevo obviously that's the capital city so it's got a different sort of vibe to a quieter city like mustar um went to the bridge where Franz Ferdinand was shot which sparked the first world war that was interesting again Sarajevo had quite a few nice little markets that had that were selling quite a few strange things I think there was a shop we came across that was literally everything they sold was made out of bullets um they had like a, a bullet plane that was made out of that sort of thing and it was really interesting actually like, I was tempted to get it because it was so cool but I think I'd have a couple of issues getting that back through customs don't you <laughs> yeah yeah we said how we said how um how, how a bit how a bit strange it was but you know what yeah I, I just yeah I really like so even Sarajevo the capital like you're walking around and you can see like remnants of the war obviously like bullet holes and mm. the in, in, in the buildings and it's scary really isn't it I, you know it's it's I was saying to you like it's we're not we're not told much about the war in 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 Bosnia in that part of the world back in the UK we're not we talk about a lot of, of other wars obviously World War One World War Two even like the Falklands and stuff like that but we're not mm. I, I always think like I, I as, as a kid I mean in, in history lessons in school you were never ever told anything about the about the Bosnian war I mean I, I was born in 92 so I I, I I was little when it was happening and so mm. and yet yeah told absolutely nothing and then obviously walking around we to walk back to our hotel in Sarajevo you walk past um it was obviously like a, a cemetery which was built for for people who who lost their life during the war and some of them are absolutely tragic aren't they when you read how old some of them were like yeah it's a really really historically important place i suppose and it's not too far from us we're only a couple of hours on a plane and so Mm. i really liked it i really really liked it and 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 you know i i always quite like visiting europe I, i i think there's so many hidden hidden gems all around Europe. But yeah, in, in, in terms of the two places we went to, Mustar and Sarajevo, yeah, I just think, uh, yeah, the, the, the whole country of, of Bosnia and Herzegovina, I'd really, really sort of recommend any, anyone to go, especially if you like your historical um, you know, side of things, along with natural beauty, mm. essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's so, so interesting. We were having a couple of beers, weren't we, in Sarajevo on Friday night, and I opened up my phone and I've got a message from um, the official Zwinski Mustar Instagram account, and it was honestly such a nice message. It says, we saw your video and it's really great. Thanks for all the nice words about the city, the club, and the fans. Happy we've had the opportunity to host your great club and fans. Lots of respect to all of you and all the best in the Premier League and the Conference League. How lovely is that? I put that on Twitter and the reaction's been amazing. I think it's got like 2,000 likes. Honestly, the respect there is absolutely class and fair play to Zwinski for messaging me that it's so so nice I didn't expect it how, how cool is that yeah it's lovely it's lovely and it's what football is all about isn't it and um if you can behave and you can just be normal you know and you know we, we are just there just to watch football and we can have these sort of connections with other teams and other supporters and that's exactly what it was and you know like I even think about the the chap at the petrol station when I was filling <laughs> up the pet when I was filling up the petrol back at the airport and he caught he caught 
site that I was English and he asked where I was from. And then his first question was, what football team do you support? And as soon as I said Villa, this massive smile became <laughs> on his face and he was telling me how everybody buzzed in Herzegovina loves Aston Villa. I was thinking, that's a bit strange. And he was telling me how bad all the other English clubs were and he was talking about how Birmingham City were lower tier and I was like, he's absolutely right. And he's very broken English. He, he was telling us about how how poor Birmingham City were, which I thought just, just sums it all up, all the way from a, a random petrol station in Sarajevo. Um, yeah, this bloke had a very, very spot on opinion about our, our nearest and dearest in Birmingham City. So, so yeah, just, uh, yeah just, just, just amazing. But yeah, it just shows you that you know you can have good communications and good times with other clubs and, mm. uh, and yeah Drinksky Mustard yeah a, a really 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 nice club and I'll be looking out for them in the future to see if they make any European competitions there yeah, again oh absolutely and they're sending me a shirt as well which again they didn't have to do so I'll definitely be sporting that around Birmingham um, in the years to come we were coming out of Luton Airport weren't we we were sort of saying was that was that a favourite trip in the group stage obviously it's over now we ain't got to play another Europe game um, until March I think for for different sort of reasons, it probably is my favourite. Obviously, it was so different to going to a, a major city like Warsaw or even Alkmaar when there was more going on. It just it just felt different. But I think all the reasons that we've just talked about in terms of how lovely their fans were, um, even talking to the club themselves, our experience there, how beautiful it was. I think this was probably my favourite trip out of all the ones I've done in the group stage. Yeah, I, I think so for me too. I think in... I think for a few different reasons. I think we were, a we were there longer, so we had longer time to explore, which felt mm. better. Obviously, Poland, especially, it was literally such a quick turnaround. We were we were back in you know England within sort of what thirty odd hours or so. So you know it was a very quick turnaround that one. Obviously, uh, Holland was great because of the result. We absolutely you know it was a good trip. Um, but then yeah, Mustard, just like I say, because of the time we spent there, and I think how how lovely it, it, it was. And, you know, we had, like I say, a lot of time to do other, other touristy things. There was no sort of rush. Or, you know, we weren't rushing around whatsoever and everything went smoothly. And, um, yeah, obviously not the game so much. The game, was as we've just discussed, wasn't great. But um, overall, I think so. I think it was one of my favourite places I've, I've ever visited. So, yeah, it's definitely up there. Right, we'll come to the end of this Bosnia chat then. We got ourselves home, didn't we, via um, Belgrade in Serbia. That Saturday was very, very long. Uh, got ourselves back to Luton Air. Airport and then went straight to a Premier Inn in uh, West London, not too far from Stockley Park, actually. And then I think we got in at about midnight on uh, Saturday and then woke up, obviously, for Brentford away. And we were sort of saying on the Sunday morning, feels weird that Villa have got another game. Like, it feels like we've just mm. finished the the one in Bosnia. We've got back and it's like, right, we go again. It's weird, but I love it. Yeah, straight back to it. And that's what it that's what it's all about. Obviously, the, the players are a little bit more fortunate because, obviously, they would fly back from Mustard, direct from Mustard, and they'd be back in Birmingham by sort of, what, midnight on the... Uh, on the mm. Thursday nights, so it's very different for the players and the manager and the coaches and stuff, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, for us, obviously, we literally, yeah, as you say, landed back, you know, got, got to the hotel in London at midnight and straight off to Brentford the next day. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like games, thick and fast. It's what you want, isn't it? And it's the and it's the mark that you've got a good side, and it's the mark that you that that, that you're in multiple competitions and you're doing fairly well in them. So, yeah, absolutely, bring it on. Yeah, it's top class. Really enjoy it. Uh, I like Brentford away. I think it's it's easy enough to get to. Out of all the London ones, it's probably one of the easiest ones to get to. Decent little stadium. Um, we're not very good there, though, are we? I think I was saying on the video, sort of our last win there was in 1953. Obviously, we haven't played them too many times since then. I think we've played them 10 times since we got relegated and only beaten them once. Obviously, that was the 4-0 uh, just after Stephen Gerrard got sacked. So I think Going into the game, I think both sides were sort of missing big players. We had Luca Dean and Douglas Luiz out. Cash comes back in, playing a little bit further forward. Ramsey and Moreno uh, are back in together on that left-hand side. Diaby comes back in for the first time in a couple of weeks. I think going into the game, pretty confident, were you? I think so. I think because of the absentees that Brentford had. Um, but then, as you say, we also did with Louise, Luca Dean. Yuri Tielemans wasn't available. There was a question mark hanging over whether Bailey was going to be fit. And obviously, um, he started on the bench. But... I think you know overall. I think we've got a decent you know strength and depth this year, and uh, and so yeah, I was fairly confident heading into it. Even though it's a tough place to go, Brentford. I think um, I think they are a very well organised side, which we obviously found out. Um, mm. And I think you know if you do usually if you do go one down against Brentford, it's it's very difficult to to get back into it. So yeah, it was it was always going to be a tough game and not a happy hunting ground for us. But you know, in the former end, you you know you sort of had to be confident. Just picking up on Cash and Diaby there, I think throughout the game just talking about them a little bit I think they they struggled didn't they Cash obviously had that license to go further forward but I think he struggled all day I think going into the second half DRB as well especially when we were sort of chasing the game at 1-0 down it sort of felt that 
didn't really have that impetus, which is which is a little bit strange with Diaby. I'm not sure. Obviously, we, we we talked about it on the tube back, didn't we? Wingers do go through these sort of spells where they are a little bit inconsistent. I mean, look at Leon Bailey on the other end of the spectrum. It does happen with wingers, but I think especially just overall on that right hand side, we struggled a little bit, didn't we, on Sunday? Yeah, and I think it's because of how Brentford played. They sat, you know, they sat sort of so deep in that sort of low block, and they and they just were, you know, were not willing to sort of come out. Were they very often? And they were doing something quite unique, weren't they? They were basically to try and catch us out in terms of our high line they were just punting the ball weren't they without really like any sort of yeah. tactic or look they weren't even looking where they were just punting it up and 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 obviously hoping for one or two of the runners to sort of sort of beat that trap and Villa to be a little bit unaware of what was going on and it worked a couple of times to be fair to them um but I mean on the overall game we could we had so much of the ball but we just struggled to break them down they were so so well organized and I think in terms of the that right hand side I think I think cash I don't, I'm not. I'm not convinced about him in in a more advanced role. I I don't know if he's got the credentials to do it. I know he did well away at Burnley early this season, but it's sort of one game in isolation, and I've not been that convinced. If I'm being honest, I don't think it worked. Although I do understand it because obviously the injuries and the absentees we had, I do understand why why he played. And then I think with Diaby at the moment, I just think. I, I, it looks like he's lacking a little bit of confidence at the moment. It looks like he needs mm. something to happen, like a goal or something like that. Because I think I said to you, deny that. You know, as a winger, you have to sort of take that chance sometimes. And you know, if you mess up and you try and take somebody on and they tackle you, or you, know, you mess up a cross, it's not not a good cross and it gets cleared or what, whatever. Then, well, that's kind of the life of a winger, isn't it? But you have to mm. take a risk. And I felt for me for Diaby throughout the game, it was a little bit. You know, we were we were kept past it from side to side, which is obviously we were trying to wait for a moment which Brentford were going to switch off. Um, but every time it did come to DRB, it was just straight back to Conza every single time. And I, I said to you, I said, the problem with that is that because Conza's a centre-half by trade, he's not, a, 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 not an attacking right-back yeah. anyway. He's not the best person to be crossing the ball, really. And so every time he got to DRB, for me, it was a bit like, come on, son, come on, let, let, let's go at them, have a run at them or try and get a cross in or um and and he just didn't yeah he didn't do it and that's the something that Bailey did later on in the game and and obviously you know it, it's as wingers you, you do go through inconsistent patches and sometimes it's all about that confidence and having that but um yeah he's, he's going through one of them little spells at the moment but he's a, still a top player and a lot of our players still goes through him and so I've no doubt that he will be back to his best soon. Yeah, of course. No doubt it will click at some point in the in the near future. I think that at halftime we were a little bit frustrated, weren't we? Because I think we played okay, especially in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. I think sort of opposite to that right-hand side. On the left-hand side, we were getting quite a bit mm. of joy, weren't we, with Ramsey and Moreno? I think Moreno is... He got that chance, didn't he, on Sunday because Luca Dean was obviously suspended. I think he's he's so different. We'll talk about his goal a little bit later, but he gets forward, doesn't yeah. he? And he's been out for a long time, but you can still see he's got that pace. He's still the sort of same player, creating opportunities. Ramsey has, has played a little bit more than him recently and has looked a little bit rusty, which is totally understandable. But Moreno was was very, very he was decent, wasn't he, at the weekend? And it was he was holding the ball at the end, like he'd scored a hat trick and he, he probably could have done, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he could have done. He he's a really progressive fallback, isn't he? And he um he gets himself into really sort of high attacking positions quite a lot. And um well he had two great chances to score, didn't he? He had that one where it sort of bobbled off him and then he had the one where he had all the time in the world, sort of thing. And um he really probably should have done better or picked somebody out in the box if he wasn't going to shoot. Um, so we had them and then we had the one which I, I thought was going to be a goal all day long, the one where Carlos sort of uh, puts that long ball down, Watkins uh, n- knocks it down to Ramsey, who takes a brilliant touch and um, yeah. he just gets put off by uh, Ethan Pinnock, doesn't he? And he puts it he puts it wide of the post and he should have done a lot better. But I think it was good to see JJ like playing the 90 minutes, though he's still a little bit rusty, we can tell. But I think he showed signs yesterday, though, of getting back to where where, where we know he can be. He's, mm. He was on the ball a lot. He had a, a lot of decent touches and he was involved heavily yesterday. And so I, I don't think it's too far around the corner where he's firing on all cylinders and having sort of two 90 minutes in the week or two starts, sorry, in, 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 in the last week will really sort of mm. help him come on. And so, so yeah, it was... Um, I, I, I thought... I thought on the whole, I thought the first half again, I thought we shaded it, to be honest. I think Martin has made, he made one very good save in the first half, Um, you know, low down to his left. It was very, very good save. But apart from that, we controlled the ball. And so to go in 
in the end, one nil down was was really really disappointing. Yeah, I just think on on Ramsey, I think when he he first came back for the second time against Bournemouth away, and he came on, it was it was at half time, wasn't mm-hmm. it? He wasn't he wasn't involved, and he, he sort of was in the area, was sort of floating around, but he didn't really have the ball too much. I think yes, there's there's signs that he's still rusty, of course there is, but there's also signs that he is getting there. Like let's not forget, he's not just been out for a couple of weeks; he's been out for a very very long time, and he did look sharp. I think again, like you said, it's great that he got ninety minutes. Obviously, came off um, on the ninety for Dendonka, but you can see that he's getting there, which is really really encouraging because you look at it last season; those two, him and Moreno, were so so influential. And when you're going into this sort of period now, over Christmas, whatever, you need these players back, and they are getting sharper, which is great to see. Exactly, and that, and even though you know he, came, I said this at the time, he came on against Bournemouth for half time, and maybe he wasn't the right substitution at that point. He looked a bit rusty, looked a little bit. Uh, slow and a little bit out of it but that 45 minutes again would have done him absolute wonders um, and so and I think that's what I said it a, few, a couple of weeks ago but that's what Emery was trying to do was trying to put minutes into these players legs like with Ramsey with Zaniolo etc you know he's trying things mid game isn't he essentially and I think mm. I think we said like some of the tactics he tried against Bournemouth were then utilised during the Man City game the following you know game and um and I think that's what he's, he's he's trying to manage at Emery, and I think he's he's trying to manage it the best he can. And so I think we're kind of reaping the rewards of that. And I, yeah, I definitely think Ramsey will be sort of back to his best within no time. I really do. Talking about those two on the left hand side, Moreno redeems himself for a pretty. It was down to him, wasn't it? The first goal. He's a little bit slow, swings a leg at it. Um, Lewis Potter scores, but I think obviously scored a, a fairly similar goal against Legia Warsaw, didn't he? Where he's sort of arriving unmarked at the back post. Great finish there. And it was a great finish, wasn't it? Then against Brentford with that header. It was a great ball in from Leon Bailey, and obviously. Bailey comes on and he sort of changes the game a little bit doesn't he Cash and Diaby go off for Duran and Bailey and it's just sort of that injection of pace a little bit Bailey obviously he's hot at the moment he's in form he's going to have a go and it sort of felt like a little bit like watching an England game at times didn't it because Brentford were that deep Mm. I mean we'll come on to the red card in a minute we're jumping forward a little bit but especially when they had 10 men they were 1-0 up they've got something to protect it felt like watching England yeah it did and I, and I think it felt like while they had 11 men on the pitch it wasn't going to happen because they were so organised there was just no space whatsoever um, and I think obviously Bailey coming on did sort of change change it a little bit because he took the game uh, to them a little bit I mean in terms of the goal we conceded it wasn't it wasn't a great goal from our point of view I mean a cross comes in and Moreno's just sleeping isn't he essentially within the box mm. he doesn't he's not alert to it and uh, by the time he swings a leg at it the ball's kind of in, in the back of the net so that was a lesson to learn but again Moreno is probably a little bit rusty as well he's only been back very you know very in the last couple of few weeks and he's been out for a mm. good six months and so it's a long time really so I think we can forgive him for that but yeah I think the red card opened things up definitely um, it, it allowed a little bit more space I think that's what you saw with the Moreno goal obviously Bailey with an absolute brilliant cross and he, again he had no real space to put that cross in because every time mm. the ball came down the right there was two men on Bailey and it was Diaby pre before that um, and so he did so well to get the ball in um, and obviously Moreno sort of ghosting at the, at the, at the, at the back post and um, and there was nobody with him which is it probably happened because uh, you know Brent, Brentford did lose that man and so Villa Villa capitalised on that found the space at the back post Moreno with a, an absolute brilliant finish yeah, that cross was sort of dug out, wasn't it? And that's 10 goal contributions for Leon Bailey this season, which is, is absolutely incredible. Just going back to the red card, no complaints really. Thomas Frank said it wasn't a red card, which is which is really weird. But again, this is the correct use of VAR. Going back to it, 100% a red card. And he didn't need to do it, was he? Because the ball was going back to it towards his own goal. It's not like it was a last-ditch talent challenge or Villa win or anything like that. It was a bit of a weird one from Ben Mee. Obviously, we've seen it before with him. Uh, the Wesley tweet after the game was very, very funny. He tweeted up the Villa, didn't he, with a laughing face. It's a fair play to him. But again, it, it did change the game, didn't it, that red card? It did, yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I was going to say they were in control. I wouldn't say that. They were they were defending very, very well. They were very organised and they were difficult to break down, which is what, I, like I say, I expected Brentford to, to be. Mm. Um, it was a ridiculous, ridiculous challenge. I mean, why is he making tackles like that in that position? I mean, Bailey's not going anywhere there. Um, and it's a, yeah. it's a good job Bailey's leg wasn't, sort of his foot wasn't sort of planted yeah. because if it was he definitely would have had a really bad injury it was definitely a broken leg tackle all day long if it was so I don't know what Thomas Frank was seeing when he said it wasn't a red card it was a red a red card all day long I mean one thing that baffled me was that the referee was so close to it um, and yet he didn't deem that to be a red mm. card offence off the first time but that's why VAR's I there. I think it's, it's, it's because it's because Bailey's leg was in the air that's because it, it's I, yeah. I don't think it was fairly 
it was fairly similar to the Bissouma one where it's not like always oh, legs planted and it's a right crunch. Like it is a little bit of a flick. It's a nick. It could have been worse. It's the intent. It's the intent from Ben Me, which is the problem. And obviously it does catch him a little bit. It is lucky for Bailey that it wasn't worse. But I think, I think though, like I always think you can judge by the crowd's reaction though about tackles like that though. Because if you watch the, the replay of it and I was watching on match of the day last night, as soon as that tackle goes in, the whole ground kind of goes like, oh, you know, it sort of, it sort of holds its breath yeah. a little bit <laughs> and you hear it. And that's what happened on that tackle. Um, as soon as it was, and we were, we were miles away from it, but as soon as it happened, I was like, that's a, that's a really bad tackle, that is. And I, and I think you could just tell from the, the crowd's reaction that it was a bad tackle. Um, and so when he was sent to the monitor, I thought, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be sent off here, definitely. And so, yeah, the right decision. Um, a little bit disappointed the referee probably didn't make the decision for himself. And I think the referee might be a little bit disappointed with that himself. But um, I suppose that's why VAR's here. And it was, it was a, it was a good use of VAR, essentially. And it's probably what it is what tilted the game towards us in the end. You know, maybe we would have got an equaliser um, when it was 11 v 11. But I think having the 10 men, I think, really sort of gave us a little bit of a helping hand and sort of spurred us on to, to get the win in the end. Yeah, which we did eight minutes later. Kamara flick from a corner. Watkins heads it in. That's his ninth Premier League goal of the season and 14th goal in all competitions. He's having an absolute blinder of a season. Fair play to him. We were having this debate in the car home. Is, is Ollie Watkins now the second best striker in the Premier League? Because Personally, in the way that we play, he's so perfect for us. I wouldn't swap him for anyone. He's so perfect for Aston Villa. Is he the second best striker in the Premier League? I, f- I think I think he has to be because I think before before this season, everyone talks about Haaland and Harry Kane, didn't they? And obviously Harry Kane moved on to Bayern Munich, so he's out of the equation. Um, Ivan Tony's been suspended for a long time, and I said like I really highly rate Ivan Tony. I think he's a really good player, mm. and. Um, you know, when he's fit and firing, he'll be. I'm sure he'll be back to his absolute best, and he's a, you know, he's a top striker. But in its, in its, where, where we are currently, I think Watkins is definitely the best striker behind Haaland. I mean, when you look at all the top clubs in the league, and they'd all happily have Ollie Watkins. You know, Arsenal, yep. Liverpool, even, and I was saying to you, even Man City, even Man City would love to have Ollie Watkins. I mean, you look at like Alvarez, who's Haaland's sort of deputy, and Alvarez is a good player. He's no Ollie Watkins though. He's not. He just isn't. Um, and so I think you look at all these top clubs, even like a Spurs, et cetera, et cetera, Newcastle, all of them, all of them would probably take Ollie Watkins and, and he'd be starting mm. for most, for most, if not all of them. Um, so yeah, he, he, he definitely is. And, um, you know, and it was probably one of Ollie Watkins' quieter days just there. I think he was, I think he said in his post-match interview, he was getting a little bit frustrated because he felt like he was making the runs and getting into positions, but he just wasn't receiving the ball. But I think and that the Ollie Watkins of old would have gone searching for the ball, going out to the wing or yeah. dropping back to get it, but he didn't. He, you know, he he, he stuck he stuck true to what Unai Emery's been telling to do and to stay in that box. And um, in terms of the corner, it was a lovely routine, wasn't it? Ramsey sort of sort of mm. chips it in, doesn't he? Really, and then Kamara with a lovely flick on, um, and Ollie Watkins just there in the right place at the right time, which is exactly what you want your strikers to be doing as sort of poachers, sort of goal again. Um, and then sets us on the on our way, really. But I think before that, though, I think I was saying to you, like it felt like we weren't going to score yesterday. And then I think as soon as we got that first one, I, you just felt like we were going to win. And I said, didn't I? As soon as that first goal went in, I said, we're going to win this game now. And it, you just felt like that. And um, yeah, and obviously the, the pressure in the end paid off. We had a lot of efforts on goal. We had a, a lot of possession. And yeah, and I think in that second half, yeah, I think Martin has made another decent save, didn't he, from 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 Witter. That was about it. And Moreno made that okay, that decent sort of clearance where where Brentford were were in. But I think on the overall play of the game, I think I think Villa I think Villa did enough to win the game. I think I'd have come away feeling pretty disappointed if Villa hadn't won the game. Yeah, just going back to the second best striker in the Premier League chat, I think there's a, a shout for Isaac in there from Newcastle. I think he's a he's a great footballer for such a big guy and he's he's yeah. got really quick feet. I think there's definitely a shout for him. But I think there's such it's hard to compare, isn't it? Because there's such different strikers, mm. isn't it? Obviously it depends on the system that whichever team it is plays. I think Isaac might be better for Newcastle than Ollie Watkins would be. I don't know. You just don't know until it happens. But definitely there's a shout in there for it. Yeah, definitely. I just think with Ollie Watkins, he's got a, a better level of consistency though. And why I say that is because um, Isaac's been injured quite a lot. He's not got a great injury record exactly. at all. Um, and, yeah. and the same goes with Callum Wilson as well. He's a good striker and he scores a lot of goals. But again, his injury record is not brilliant. And so if we're talking about levels of consistency in terms of the games being played and goals being scored, then... For me, Ollie Watkins is absolutely right up there. And um, yeah, he's just improved massively, absolutely massively since Unai Emery's come. 
he's just gone to a totally different level. So whatever the offensive coaches are doing with him is absolutely paying off because he just he looks he kind of looks like a different player uh, to, 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 to me now. He's a very different sort of striker to the one we first signed. And you know, back then, Ollie Watkins was thriving under Dean Smith. He was mm-hmm. not so much under Gerrard. Um, but then as soon as Emery's come in, he's he just he just feels like a different player to what we signed, but in a, in a very very good way. And he and as you said, he just suits exactly what we're trying to do yeah and it's it's one of the best things about him that he's so durable i'm touching wood as i speak because i don't want to jinx it but i can't remember like any injury that he's ever had Mm. literally every single game ollie watkins is there which is one of his his best attributes um it kicks off a little bit after the goal don't want to talk about it too much we'll gloss over a little bit i think i don't know if you've seen the video from uh someone filmed the goal from behind the goal and there was a woman shouting we gave you your chance which was really really funny that's obviously watkins is giving it to the crowd and if you're there it might seem like he's giving it to the whole sort of brentford stand obviously it's come out after the game that he was just giving it to one bloke he was giving him sort of personal abuse which is absolutely more than fair enough and we all know sort of ollie watkins demeanor where he's quite I don't know, he hasn't really got too much personality about him that we see anyway, of course. He's not like a John McGinn where he's he's funny, laughing, cracking jokes, smiling all the time. He does what he needs to do and goes home, fair play to him. So it's very unlike Ollie Watkins, so you know something must have happened there. Well, exactly. And I think it always goes back to the point football supporters become ever so offended if a player dares to say anything back or does anything back. You know, football players are expected just to receive absolute dog's abuse and, and even referees and officials, really, from the stands. I mean, some of the stuff you hear is absolutely awful. And you think, you, did you see what Richard Key said? Yeah, I did. He's inciting violence, Nonsense. inciting violence, which is absolutely. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if you look back, Holly Watkins stood in the net and just stood there and looked. That's all. <laughs> that's all he did. Um, oh, he pointed. Is that like, that's all. He didn't stand there cupping his ears, or he didn't stand literally in front of the stand out of the net. You know, like waving or doing any other gesture yeah. or anything like that. He didn't do anything like that. He just stared. He just stood there and stared. And and, and the melee happened because all the Brentford players, kicked, that one Brentford player especially, I don't know who it was. God us. Um, yeah, kicked off. And then obviously Ezri Konza got involved. And um, But yeah, it, it always goes back to the, the, the old argument. You know, like we, I think, I don't know why some football supporters think that you can go into a football stadium just because you paid 30, 40 pounds, whatever it is to go into a football stadium. Mm. That doesn't give you the divine right to stand on the sideline and give absolute dogs abuse to somebody. Um, you wouldn't do that in the street. So why, when you walk into a football stadium, do you think that's acceptable? Um, and I yeah. think, and I, and, I, and I think fair play to Wally Watkins. He gave it some back, which to be honest with you, if I was on the pitch, I would do exactly the same. And, I think we're lucky, if I'm being honest with you. I think I always look back to that incident all them years ago with Eric Cantona. Um, I was really, really young, so I don't remember it. But just looking back on that, and I, I think we're quite lucky that things haven't happened like that a lot since, though. I mean, we've, it's, it's, it's very rare that players react to, 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 to fans. Or if you think about like referees or like assistants, you've never had anything about a referee going going off at a fan or anything. But... You know, we're, mm. they're all human, all these footballers, and like you know, you know what it feels like when somebody has a go at you. You feel like having to go back. That's just human, human nature. And so, yeah. I, I do, I do think it's funny with footballers. I, I think it's you know we expect them to just be you know blindsided by everything that's been happening around them or everything's been said around them, and you know they're going to react. They are just normal people. And um, but Ollie Watkins didn't do anything bad. He literally, literally just stood there, like I said. So yeah, fair play. I mean, I liked his post match interview when he said. And he was asked, would you do it again in hindsight? And he was like, what, if you, if that bloke was giving me abuse again? He was like, yeah, I'd do it a thousand times over. <laughs> and I write that response because he's sticking true to his sort of principles and values. And I absolutely agree with him. No, I get it because Watkins has played for Brentford. He was he was very good for Brentford. He sort of was in, what, three years at Brentford. So he's got a lot of credit in the bank there. So to the fan who didn't know what was going on in the ground, fair yeah. enough, it might seem like yeah. he was being a bit of an idiot. But if that happened at Villa Park, yes, initially I'd be annoyed and think, oh, Ollie Watkins is a bit of an idiot if he did the same hmm. to came back to Villa Park and did the same. I think as soon as you come out the ground and you see his interview and you see him explain it so eloquently, absolutely no problem with it. And again, fair enough to him. And it was a shame to see Villa had to release some sort of state, uh, statement on social media, uh, calling out some of the abuse he got, which is just absolutely horrific. And we've seen a lot of it, haven't we? Um, I think it all came back to the Matty Cash incident at Tottenham. There was horrific stuff going on after that. Um, the Arsenal game, those lot whinging as well. And then this, where people are sort of wishing horrific things on Watkins and it's family and it's just like such a big problem in football and social media where it's football it doesn't matter like it's so ridiculous that has to be called out and it happens because 
you can get away with it faceless profiles and nothing will happen there'll be no consequences these social media companies aren't going to do anything it doesn't matter we can have all the campaigns in the world about kicking out hate but if something doesn't happen it's not going to stop and it's 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 horrible to see yeah you're right and we're absolutely stuck in a hole with with, with the whole social media thing because as you say people are going to say what they want uh, when they want and there'd be really no sort of action you know very very limited action anyway you've had the odd person i suppose being contacted by the police but very, very limited action. And yeah. People can say what they want. And I, and I think this, this is the problem. You go on any tweet that any football club says in the Premier League or anything that the Premier League does officially, and you go down in the replies, and some of the replies are just absolutely horrendous. And just replies yeah. to like what about Watkins over the weekend, about people wishing he'd broke his leg, people wishing he'd, 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 he'd had a cardiac arrest like Tom Luckier for Luton. And yeah. The ones the other week when Spurs, uh, when they were talking about the Holocaust, about Matty Cash and... It's just absolutely horrific, and it's like you just think like it's just mindless, brainless idiots. That's what it is, and uh, and it spoils it really. I hate going on. I actually hate going on like official like accounts or like players accounts, like they've seen the replies because you just know that you're going to have like idiots in the replies giving absolutely dogs abuse to them, and um, yeah, it's I don't know why people would think that's ever ever acceptable, but it feels like we're in a place now where it's like there's no going back. How on earth is, is anyone going to curb it? Yeah, it's horrible. Um, we'll talk about the last few minutes then, because again, that was quite eventful. Um, all kicked off as soon as Neil Morpai came on the pitch, and oh, he's he is such a. I mean, we were just talking about not abusing people, but come on, Neil Morpai is the biggest baby I have ever seen in my life, and there's. There's a bit of history. There's a bit of history there because he's French and Martinez is Argentinian, and it comes from that Bailey back pass, which is absolutely mental. That's a whole different talking point. So they get a corner, and Morpai goes to get the ball. He barges Martinez. Martinez goes down again. That's a little bit weird. Yeah, he shoved you, but come on. And then it's the one after where Martinez gives it a little bit back, doesn't he, to Morpai? He goes to the floor, rolling around, complaining. And it's this point you've got a problem because I think Martinez. The shove, I don't really have a problem with that. Fair enough, give it back. I think just leave it then. Don't go and pick mm. him up because then it all ensues. Kamara gets involved. Everyone gets involved. There's a push. He gets sent off. We ain't got a clue what's going on where we're stood. But looking back on it, it's not great, is it? Emery comes on the pitch. He gets booked. McGinn is absolutely fuming with Martinez. It's not a great look, is it? I think there's a line there. I think the push was okay. Just leave it there. We're winning. What's the point? Let him roll around on the floor. Yeah, the whole thing was stupid. It was absolutely stupid. It was... It was like playground antics from the pair of them, uh, Martinez and Morpai. I mean, it's kind of what they both are. That's what the personalities are. Morpai is just, he likes to frustrate people. He likes to wind people up. And Martinez, he's just, he's got that typical sort of goalkeeper, you know, mad sort of goalkeeper tag, hasn't he? You know, like we people have always said in the past, you know, you have to be a bit crazy to be a goalkeeper. Um, and it, Martinez sort of fits that criteria. He's a bit of a, He's a bit of a strange bloke, isn't he? You know, he's, <laughs> no, he's, he's though. You know, how he performs yeah. on the football field. You know, he yeah. does things that other people probably wouldn't do. And like I say, like it's that, that's a trait a lot of the time for a goalkeeper. They do tend to be a bit, a bit on the on the stranger side of things compared to outfield players. But it was just stupid, and I, and, and it was a shame in the end because it, then it resulted in that big sort of melee, and it didn't need to be. And obviously, Unai Emery was trying to split it up, and then obviously things get said between other players, and obviously then Kamara raises his hands to the opponent's face or neck, which we all know you can't do. And uh, that resulted in a red card and a free match ban, which is a big blow because Kamara's, you know, important cog in the Villa team. And yeah, okay, it might not have come at such a bad time. We've got not a terrible run in and we've got, you know, a decent sort of squad these days in terms of squad depth and obviously Douglas Louise returning mm. from suspension. So it might not really impact us too much, but it's still stupid, though. You think if that was another player, if that was like a Para Torres or a Watkins or something, yeah. or even like a John McGinn, you'd have been even more worried. But yeah, it was just, it was annoying. And I think you could see uh, John McGinn and Emery's reaction. John McGinn was absolutely mad at both Kamara and Demi Martinez. Rightly so. Um, Rightly yeah, so. as the captain, you could just see his frustration. He was, I mean, he was just trying to close the game out. And Emery as well, like, even before the melee happened, and Martinez was messing around with more pie on the floor. Um, you saw Emery on the touchline just pointing to his head to Martin saying, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, it was a shame, really. It sort of soured it a little bit at the end because um, now we're, we, we are without Kamara for for, for, for for three games and that's just annoying. The bloke in front of us towards the end of the game was saying, like, don't worry, guys, we don't drop points. And we were sort of saying, don't say that just yet. But just in terms of the whole win, it was fantastic, wasn't it? We weren't, again, at our best, but... When have we got sort of? When have we been at our best this season? I think against sort of Man City, which is just an anomaly that was ridiculous. When have we sort of got into fourth, fifth gear and really like run over a side? I think it's great that we've got this sort of 
ability now to not play the best and go to a hard place to go in Brentford and be gritty and get those two late goals in a, in a sort of feisty game and get the three points. It's a new side to sort of Villa that we're seeing now. And it's, it's really, really good, isn't it? And obviously it's put us at the top of the league. It's fantastic. I suppose it's, I suppose it depends what you, what you classify as, you know, like a, a, a full blown, brilliant sort of performance, I suppose. Cause I, I thought our performance yesterday was a pretty good performance away at a side like Brentford. I thought, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a poor performance. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say we we're at the absolute best, but I don't think we were. I don't think we were far off in in a, in a in a you know a tough away game, and we sort of controlled and dominated the game. Obviously, you, every game's different because every side brings different sort of tactical sort of um, you know uh, opposition, and so uh, yeah, I, I I thought we played well yesterday. To be honest with you, I thought it was better than a lot of our away games previously. I, thought, I think Emery said that like we competed a lot better than we did against Bournemouth. We didn't have. Uh, like a spell where we look like going under, like we did against Spurs. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a decent performance, and I think over, and I think overall, looking at the away sort of for, uh, table now in the Premier League, we've moved up to sixth now in that away table. And so the away for the away form being poor is a little bit of a myth, to be fair. We're actually doing actually uh, all right. Uh, you know, I think people we've had some performances at Villa Park where we beat Man City, being brilliant. You know, Brighton, West Ham, where we've yeah, li- West Ham, where we've yeah, literally yeah. been faultless. You're not going to do that, you know. The Premier League is tough, and you every I know we talk about it being a cliche, but every single game in the Premier League is tough. We know that, and it provides you know different challenges every game. And so you're not going to be like 100 percent spot on and not face any sort of problems throughout any game, really. Um, but I thought yesterday's performance was was pretty good. You know, I, I really do. A tough place to go. We've got absentees ourselves. Yep, so did they. Part and parcel of the game. But I think on the overall. Uh, on the overall game, I thought I thought we had a pretty good one to be honest. Yeah, I think I think I was just trying to trying to say it's sort of got different ways of winning. We don't need to be like imagine a couple of years ago where Villa are trying to stay up, where you had to have the game of your life to even mm. get a win. But I think now you can sort of be sort of halfway there and still get decent results. Obviously, every single game is different, and we can find a way in each of these games, which is great to see. So that's really really good. Um, I think there was a just talking about the scenes after the game. It was brilliant in that way and celebrating all the players coming over McGinn and um, sort of waving his arms. It was brilliant. Neil Morpai absolutely losing his head. Brentford players are sort of walking, doing the lap of the pitch, weren't they? The sort of Villa fans are just giving it back to Neil Morpai. And he absolutely lost his head. It was so, so funny. He was obviously screaming at the away end. He was shouting. Brentford players had to drag him away. Absolutely hilarious. All the Villa fans were just laughing at him. It was amazing. It makes me laugh. He's such a bang average footballer. The, the, le- yeah. the level of sort of confidence or cockiness that the bloke's got, to be honest with you. I just I think average is kind. It is kind. I mean, his record in the last few seasons has been absolutely terrible he's done slightly better since he's gone back to Brentford but uh but yeah weird and he didn't cause us really any problems did he apart from being an idiot he didn't really cause us sort of any problems to to, to be honest so so yeah it's a strange one but yeah really good scenes in the way and uh, I thought it was a really good away end yesterday the fans were in really sort of good voice um and yeah it was a perfect way to you know, to end a really, really good week for us, really. Top of the league on Friday night, mate. Sheffield United, if we win that game, we go top of the league. Obviously, Liverpool um, and Arsenal playing each other on the Saturday. So, yes, if they draw, we're top of the league at Christmas. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean anything yeah. at all. But just to say that is mental, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is mad and it's nice to say it. It doesn't really mean a lot. I think, you know, we've, in, we've just gone past, what, game week 17 in the Premier League, a long Long way to go. Um, take each game as it comes. You know, we, we've we found a level of consistency, which hopefully we can uh, continue. And if we do that, if we that's the, the thing, the important thing for me is to keep chalking up points now because if we do that, we're going to get into a position where later on in the season, you know, we sort of, you know, we sort of are going to be a favourite or a nailed on to finishing that sort of top four, top five, which is mm. which is which has now got for me has now got to be the aim, obviously. And I think the yes. aims have kind of changed a little bit. I think I said at the start of the season that. I mean, I was worried at the start of the season with injuries, and I said that if we had, if we, if we won a uh, competition like the Conference League, and we even finished top ten, I'd be happy. And that's what I said. That kind of moved them as we were winning games. That kind of that target sort of moved for me to be sort of again top six, seven. But I think in recent times, I think the gap that we've got over other teams as well. My target now would be I'd really like us and expect us kind of to to to, to come in that sort of top four or five, which would be incredible. And then who knows, you know, if you. If you do keep a level of consistency up and you do get further into the competition and um, you've, you've stayed relatively injury free and you've you know and you continue being consistent, then 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 maybe we can have a tilt at, at, at the top prize. Who knows? You never know, do you? Um, one game at a time, and and you know the next one is 
Sheffield United back at Villa Park. We got a chance to make it six then wins on the spin at Villa Park and uh and yeah, you know, to sort of sort of be top at Christmas, which yeah, doesn't really mean anything, but it's just a nice thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, talk about Christmas presents. It doesn't get much better than that. And we can't be complacent on Friday night. Obviously, we get an early goal, um, sort of quieting them down a little bit. It'll be a decent night at Villa Park, and hopefully by the end of the game we can be chanting we are top of the league. And it's great that we've got no Europe now, isn't it, mm. till March? We haven't got to think about it like, oh, we've got a game on Thursday, what do we do? We're playing on the following Sunday, rotating. I haven't got to think about that now. Yes, we've got the FA Cup. <laughs> Yes, I'd love to win that as well. But if we're going for top four and winning the Conference League, I wouldn't be too disappointed. No. Obviously, it'll be, not, it'll be nice to get past the third round for the first time in, what, seven, eight years. But ultimately, if we lost that Middlesbrough game, I'd probably be annoyed for about a day and then I'd get over it because, look, we're in the top four in the Premier League. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, but yeah, it's nice that we've got no Europe and we can just focus on the league and focus on the ultimate aim now of trying to get in the Champions League. Yeah, and something usually gives, you know, it does. I mean... Um, the, the likelihood of Villa sort of you know winning the Premier League, the Conference League, and the FA Cup is very remote, isn't it? Do the treble, it's very, it's very, or doing <laughs> a treble, not maybe not the treble, um, but a treble, it's very remote, isn't it? You you just see how it how it goes. I mean, you know, we'll have to rotate again against Middlesbrough, and you just see where see, see where we go with it. But yeah, it should be it should be an interesting time, really. But yeah, each game as it comes, like I say, the Sheffield United game on Friday, even though they haven't been brilliant, it's probably a tougher game than it was a few weeks ago. Now Chris Wilder's back in. Um, obviously the perks up slightly ever since he's come back. So um I think we'll I think we'll have a fairly challenging game still, but one that, you know, we'll go into with full confidence again. There we go. Let's hope so. If you are going to Villa Park on Friday night, enjoy it. Um it's been over a year of the podcast now, mate. It's uh, absolutely flown by. We've done a year of podcasts. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Again, like I always say, thank you for all the, the support on that. I know there's lots of good Villa podcasts, but I feel like we've got that USP of giving you an insight into going to away games, going on these European trips. I think that's why I enjoy doing this so much because we do the videos, don't we? What, they're 10, 15 minutes long, but it's nice to come on here. We talked about our trip to Bosnia for for half an hour earlier, so it's nice to come on here. And again, thanks for all the support. It's it's lovely, isn't it? And we love it. It is. It is, absolutely. It is something unique. Obviously, um, you know, other people don't get the opportunity to go to like Bosnia there's only what four or five hundred of us and so yeah obviously we're one of the only ones to, to be reporting back and talking about it and so hopefully yeah it's given a good insight to people who haven't who hadn't managed to, to, to make make the trek out there and so yeah no it's been great yeah I can't believe it's been a year or over a year already it's, it's absolutely flown by exactly and thanks to all the support on the Villa on Tour podcast as ever and of course over on YouTube not sure when the next time we'll speak to you will be obviously we've got Manchester United away on uh, Boxing Day and obviously we'll see what we can do over the sort of Christmas period but it won't be too long before we speak to you again if I don't speak to you before Christmas have a good one and up the Villa Villa